Today's reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Thanks, uh, Taylor. Um, morning, everyone. My name's Josh. I'm one of the, the leaders here at Christchurch. Um, morning to those who are watching um, at home as well. Um, we're going to be looking a little bit more in depth at that passage, so please do keep it open in front of you. Um, and... Um, I'm going to speak on it, and what I have to say is also available in electronic form um, if you were to go on our uh, website, christchurchliverpool.org forward slash transcript, and there might be a link uh, for those uh, watching at home as well, just on the YouTube channel. So as we come to uh, look at the Bible, let's pray to ask for God's help. Father God, we... Um, we want to have our eyes open to the wonderful things that are in your law. Um, as we've heard this morning, we don't want to see lots of rules that put us off. But Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would um, speak to us and draw us near to you into relationship in wholesome and fruitful and godly ways that increase our joy and not burden us. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, uh, you will... Uh, speak to us through this written word of yours that we might come closer and closer to you and be made more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, a conversation that I've had quite a lot, um, probably over the last, um, I suppose, about 12 months. So in the last 12 months since the, the main lockdown um, in our country ended, a conversation I've had quite a lot has been how great it is to, to meet together in person, that we all remember, of course, in recent memory, a time when we had to spend 12, 18 months um, just meeting over, as I was telling the children, um, over Zoom. This was our life for a little while, wasn't it? Both the people in the top right who look very normal and the people in the bottom right who are not sure how to use it. This is how we all had to relate for quite a long time. And it was such an important thing to us, or such a common thing in our world, that we even had new words enter our language. So I'm sure some of us would have been Zoom fatigued. Um, some of you perhaps all still get Zoom fatigue if you're still doing this quite a lot. Um, I don't know if any of you ever managed to do any Zoom bombing when you walked into someone else's conversation. Or um, the, the worst one I've heard is Zoom embarrassment. It's a stupid word. Zoom embarrassment is where you're so embarrassed about your background that you use those, those fake backgrounds that they give. Not just to be silly, but because you're actually embarrassed that everyone gets to see inside your house. But that's how we had to relate. Um, that's how we had to talk, because we couldn't see each other face to face. 
And it's interesting because having to relate through a screen, having to relate like this to each other, and the frustrations that came with it, really showed us something about how we as human beings are hardwired to relate. We are wired to want to relate to a person, in person, face to face. We want to relate authentically, or at least as authentically as we can. So our heart wants to relate authentically in person to someone. We recognize though, if we can't, if we're all stuck at home, then the next best thing is to do it through some sort of representation of that person, to bring them close by bringing them into your home on a computer screen. At least you can see them. Notice we didn't actually all go to phone calls during lockdown. I don't know if you ever got the, the same type of thing as, as I did, where someone would text you saying, oh, we need to meet about such and such. It'll only take two minutes. Can we schedule a Zoom call? And I text Max saying, remember phone calls? We just get it over and done within two minutes. But we didn't go there because it seems to be that, that speaking words is less preferable. And we've got this kind of hierarchy almost. Speaking words is less preferable to us. Seeing them is a lot more preferable. But at the top is meeting them face to face. That seems to be the way we like to relate. Well, if that's how we relate to each other, I think that is how we aim to relate to God. And I don't just mean Christians want to relate to God. I'm not saying this if you're a Christian. I'm saying that this is true for anyone who relate, wants to relate to any God they think is there in our world. Because in many religions, it feels like just speaking words is not quite enough. To get into the presence of whatever God people worship, it would be helpful to have a picture or a model or an image. It seems like a step towards a deeper connection to have some way of seeing what this deity, this God is like. Some way, some step towards intimacy that you can be in its presence. And that is why the temples of the world are filled with shrines and statues and pictures. Ideally, okay, maybe we'd want to relate to whatever God there is in person on the top of that scale. But if, according to your religion, if you can't actually meet your God walking around, well, the next best thing would be to have some sort of picture, some sort of Zoom substitute so that you can feel that closeness. Well, we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments at the moment. And today we're looking at the second commandment. Today's commandment says this. It was in the reading. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, this commandment is probably the one commandment that many modern day Christians don't feel particularly guilty about breaking. The idea that we would come to church to make an image and bow down to it. Well, that seems um foreign or ancient. That's something that other religions do. I guess we as Christians don't have too much of a conscience pang when we come to this commandment. We're not in the habit of bowing to these, these little idols. But we're going to see this morning how when God gives this commandment, he's not putting distance between people who want to worship him and who feel they need a presence, an image to come to him. He's actually inviting people into a deeper and more authentic relationship with him. Because when people build images of God, they actually tear down closeness with God because images 
help us define God, twist God and miss God. So firstly, um, there's a problem with images if they are defining God. Um, our eldest daughter is four, and we've uh, taken me a little while to realize, but I hadn't known that children can't quite engage in um, imaginary play um, until a little bit later on, until they've got a few more kind of skills and faculties. Um, so it might give her a doll to play with, but she's not able to do imaginary make-believe play. But actually, she's started to do it now. And the way it's worked sometimes in our house with our four-year-old has been like this. She says, okay, I want to play house. I want to play um, families. So she'll say, okay, I'm, I'm the baby and daddy, you can be the daddy. Um, mummy, you can be... Well, I, no, I want to be the mummy. I'll be the mummy. Daddy, you can be the daddy. Mummy, you can be the baby. Well, you can be the... I'll be the daddy. No, I'll be the mummy. You, you can be the mummy. And actually, that's all it is. <laughs> that's all we do. So it's all her telling us who we are. And that, that's kind of as far as it gets. Um, now, that's quite funny when you, when, when you can think of a four-year-old having the power to define who you are. But we, we don't need telling, do you? That's play. That's make-believe. That's not real. That's not an authentic relationship. I'm, that, that's not how we relate. We don't tell each other who we are. But can you imagine if we actually did relate to each other in that sort of way? Where we actually met somebody and, and we could define them straight away. You can imagine how that would just erode the foundation of any way of relating. So if you came to chat to me after church and I said, um, oh, hi, yeah, I don't think I've met you before. My name, my name's Josh. And uh, well, you can be, be Dave and you can be a bus driver and you, you've got three kids and a dog and you can speak uh, Italian at home, but you've got very good English at church, and you love to, to cook um, Yorkshire pudding. Now, that's absurd. <laughs> that's not what we do. That's not a danger for any of us in chatting with one another. But it can be a way that we relate to God. Um, let me just tease out the difference between the first and second commandment, because it can be quite easy when we look at these Ten Commandments, we look at this idea of building images we think, oh, I'm not building any images, so that should be fine. Um, but actually, it can be confusing when we look at the first commandment, which says, don't worship other gods. And we say, well, another god is an idol. So the first commandment is don't worship idols. But then we look at the second commandment and we think, well, it says don't worship models and images. Well, that's an idol. So the second commandment is don't worship idols. So it can be easy to confuse the two. Let me just tease out the difference. The first commandment... Um, it's, it'll be there in the passage in front of you. It says, don't worship anything that's not this God. So don't worship anything that's not this God who's speaking. The, the, the God who brought the people out of slavery in ancient times and who speaks in the Bible. Um, that's the first commandment. The second commandment is saying, even when you do worship this God and you are only worshipping this God... Even when you do worship this God, don't make a statue or image to represent him. It's not, it is a commandment about worshipping other gods, but it is also a commandment about relating rightly to the, to the real God that you do worship. Because you see how, if you were to make an image to represent God, you'd be defining him. How can you possibly have, think up of an image to represent God without making a decision about what God is like? How can you possibly do that without coming to God and saying, this is what you are like? And God says, I won't relate to my people if you get to define me by imagining me as something from creation, the creation that I myself created. 
We're told right at the start of the Bible that God created the world and he created humans in his image. And this second commandment says, well, don't turn that upside down. Humans, using creation as inspiration, defining God in creation's image. But in case you think that's a weird or unusual thing to do, if you still think, well, no, but this isn't what I do, it's actually what is happening every time someone says, well, I, I like to think of God like this. I like to think of God like this. It's another way of saying I'm, the way I define God is, is by this. I like to think of God like a kind headmaster. That's the image that I might, to want, I might want to have. Or I like to think of God more as a saviour than as a judge. The problem of that, or the thing that's problematic with that is you're saying, well, I would like to define what God is like because that sits well with me. But this has got an even more subtle disguise, even for those of us who, who've never, who don't speak like that, even for those of us who think, oh, actually, I've heard that before, I'm, I, I don't do that. Well, actually, unless the God we believe in is defined by what he says in the Bible, well, then we're at great risk of coming to God and defining him according to whatever creation has made us think of him like. So as God opens up a deep and close relationship with his people, he gives a second command that at its heart is making sure the ground on which anyone gets to relate to God is authentic. There's no relationship if you come to God and you want to define him with an image. But secondly, God paves the way to this authentic relationship by saying you shouldn't worship images that twist God. Um, I was at a Christian conference ages ago, quite a long time ago, um, and I bumped into a woman at breakfast and it became, she got, we got chatting and it became clear quite quickly that she mistook me for somebody else. She thought I was the person she had been chatting to yesterday. I wasn't even there the day before. Um, now, I say that it was a long time ago because I want you to know that I, I was young and I didn't really have the social skills to kind of navigate my way out of that. So the only option I thought was available to me was um, to play along. Um, so, <laughs> so she would bring up the subject of this book that I was apparently reading. And I, I just had to kind of hope that I didn't spill the beans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's good. Yes, it's a good one. It's a good one. I find it really useful. Uh, and then she talked about the, the seminar that we were both in yesterday that, that we, you know, we shared together. And, yeah, yeah, I found that, found that really, really challenging. Yeah, yeah. Hoping that she would take the lead, hoping that she would say something about it. But um, in the end, um, I think we, I just kind of made some excuse and, and wa walked off. Um, but you can, you've probably been in that situation yourself. I bet that's, that's quite common. Um, it's awkward, isn't it, when someone mistakes you for someone else? And even if you think you can imagine, or you can try and kind of carry on that conversation, the awkward thing is that person believes a set of truths about you, like, you know, your name or who you are, believes a set of truths about you that just aren't true. And you can't relate on that basis. That's not deep, authentic, intimate relationship. And the great thing um, that God does in this second commandment is he says straight away, he puts it out there straight away, guys, you not do that with me. I don't want you to, to, to get a twisted image of me and relate to me according to a set of truths that you think is true that just, just isn't. Essentially, the truth is, if you are worshipping 
an image, a picture, a mental image even of God that does not represent him. It's not what he says he's like. Well, you're not actually worshipping him at all. You're worshipping someone else, just like the lady I was speaking to didn't just get me wrong, but she actually thought I was someone else. Then actually breaking the second commandment by relating to God as an image or through a mental picture that's not what he's like, well, that's actually worshipping a different God altogether. That's breaking the first commandment as well. But that's why this second commandment is actually brilliant because God is setting out a path to deeper intimacy with him. Fashioning an image so that you can feel closer to God, getting a mental picture of what he's like so that you can kind of relate to this image of him that you've made. Well, that doesn't help you worship God. That is not intimacy. That's not authenticity. And I know that making a statue or that type of image isn't going to be our tendency. But what is behind this commandment? is the truth that it gets in the way of real relationship. If you believe a set of truths about someone that's not really true. And I bet you're not going to go home this afternoon and twist God by carving out an image, but it is easy for us to twist our thoughts about God by carving out bits of God that we don't really like. Things that don't sit too well with the things that we like or things that don't sit too well with our culture. And it's subtle. It's not that we would say, well, I don't like God's judgment, so I don't believe that. Although I have met Christians who do say that kind of thing. And that seems to be carving out something off God that's not true. But it's more that I think we can relate to God only through one set of truths about him, through one image of him. So you might only ever, ever relate to God like a close father without ever relating to him with the reverence due to the sovereign Lord of all. There's a twisted, uh, I don't don't mean a sinister twisted, but just an imbalanced way of relating to God that we can all be guilty of that essentially makes God something that he's not. We might read God's words only ever with that holiness and reverence because it's from the God of all, but without ever really knowing that this is God's personal words as someone who loves us. Without realizing it, we can be at risk of remolding what we think of God because we emphasize something over against another thing. We might be formed by our habits or our personality to only ever relate to God in this sort of slightly remolded version of him that works well for us. But actually, um, sorry, where am I? No, I was going to skip a bit, but then I'm going to tell you something important. Um, (laughs) God says that when you do that, you're relating to somebody different. And he says then he gets jealous about that. Um, That is there in the passage. Now, talk about wishing I could carve a bit out to make my sermon easier. I didn't really want to come and have to talk to you about a jealous God. That doesn't sound very good, does it? God says, um, don't do this because I'm a jealous God. But you know what? This, This is profound because it shows us that relating to God through an image isn't just kind of getting him wrong. It's not it's not just arbitrarily something he says you shouldn't do. But because he talks about his jealousy, he's showing that it's actually relationally unfaithful to relate to God like that. Um, I heard, this is again harking back to pandemic times, when there was a boom in um, people meeting and even getting married, um, not just online, but in the metaverse. Um, So I um, read about this couple um, called uh, Tracy and, uh, what's his name? David. 
Tracy and David. Read this story about Tracy and David, and they met in the metaverse. Now, if you don't know what the metaverse is, it's like, um, imagine it to be a computer game, but where you can put your own self in there. So you make a character that represents you. It's called an avatar. You make a character that represents you. Um, And it's not so much that you play a game, you know, you kind of jump onto your enemies and you get the gold at the end. It's that you actually get to, to meet other people whose avatars are in that same world, all via this computer game, if you like. Um, and so these two people actually had a, a, a um, virtual interview as one of their avatars met the other avatar and they, they met in this metaverse. And they developed a relationship through that and they ended up getting married um, in the metaverse. So the pictures behind me are a picture of them. I know it just looks like a rubbish picture of this man and a woman, but this is actually the significant for them that they were they felt they were getting married to one another because their avatars were getting married. Um, and the picture on the, on the left is they actually invited friends to join them in the metaverse to be in a metaverse marriage. So it was all marriage, but it was all virtual. Now, what's that got to do with anything? Well, imagine, imagine that the husband in real life, he did actually marry the woman in real life as well. Imagine he then goes online and spends all his time investing in his relationship with the the avatar of the woman, the image of the woman. Imagine that he is always wanting to to chat to this woman, always wanting to um, share the most precious moments, take photos. He builds somewhere in the metaverse, somewhere beautiful, they can go on a date. He, He grows a garden so he can get a rose, a virtual rose, and gives it to his virtual wife. Now, what do you think the real wife is going to think? Is she going to say, oh, that's so sweet because I know that is really me? Or is she going to say, you're spending more time with her than with me? But he'll say, no, 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 it is you. It is you. It represents you. It looks just like you. It's got your name. It's designed on you. It's based on you. It's meant and it represents you. I'm not thinking of someone else. Honestly, I'm not thinking of anyone else. I'm thinking of you. But she'll say, yeah, (laughs) doesn't matter. It's not me, is it? It's not me. You can't spend all of your emotional energy on something that represents me and leave me in the corner. Jealousy isn't a petty and embarrassing description of God. The word jealousy in the Bible is used normally for the the burning, passionate love a husband has for his wife. But his wife is going off looking for other men. And this second commandment brings into focus the God who says in verse 6, I am your God. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Morris mentioned that. He pulled out that word last week. Your God. I belong to you. We are together. I'm yours. You are mine. I'm your God in verse 6 who brought you out of slavery. And this jealousy that crops up in this in in verse 9 is the God who's in a profound love commitment to his people. So both misrepresenting God through some sort of skewed or twisted image of him, that's not right. But also representing God in any way, that's relationally unfaithful. God offers himself as a husband to these people and he won't have something take his place, even if it is meant to be just like him. He says that's unfaithful. That arouses my jealousy. But you know what? It's because he burns with a deep, passionate love to his people. 
That's not petty. That's glorious. And that's why also forbidding images, like God does in these verses, it prevents God's people from missing God altogether. The Ten Commandments come up twice in the Bible. We had them read from Deuteronomy, and that's the second time they get mentioned. Um, I want to draw your attention to something that was going on the first time they were mentioned in the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn to Exodus, because I'm not going to mention it chapter and verse, but if you wanted to know, they're in Exodus 20. And the way the Ten Commandments are said in Exodus are basically the same as what we have read in Deuteronomy. Um, It still begins with that sentence, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that's very important to understand for the context of what's going on with the Ten Commandments. Because where God is speaking to a, a group of people whose past is only ever a ragtag bunch of people in slavery. So they are only just beginning to form a national collective identity. And God is saying the heart of your new national collective identity is going to be how you relate to me, to God. And yet, up until this point in the Bible, when they were all slaves, there was no formal way to actually really meet God. Remember, human beings love to avoid just words and phone calls. We don't mind speaking to an image, but the best thing would be to meet in person. But maybe God's people, if they feel like there's no formal way to meet God in person, then maybe they're thinking, well, if as a nation we should relate to God, then if we can't meet him in person, then we do need to make a statue. But God says, no, no, you can't make a statue. But that leaves them in a little bit of a conundrum then. They they are thinking, well, is it that God doesn't want us to come close to him then? Does God not want a space where we can come and be in his sacred presence? Do we not want this intimacy in worship if God is saying, you can't relate to me via a, a statue? But what's better than a statue? What's better than Zoom? Meeting in person. And this is why I'm going to Exodus, because you don't need to read much further than the Ten Commandments in Exodus to find God giving lots and lots of instructions that we often dismiss, but they're very important for a tent called the tabernacle. And we are meant to realize that God wants people to relate to him through man-made images, but God wants us to relate to him in person because the tabernacle was a tent where God said, I'm going to live among you. You don't need an image. I'm coming to you in person. You don't need to relate to me through some picture, through some icon, through some sense of closeness or presence. I'm going to come right to live in the middle of you. So as well as forbidding these models and statues that represent God, this second commandment is also pointing people positively to the truth that he's saying, I want to come and live among you. I don't want this distant relationship. You might think it it brings you closer to have something to fix your eyes on, but God wants to come even closer than that. The second commandment is meant to raise Israel's hopes so that they say to God, God, if we can't build an image, how can we come close to you? And it's meant to point us today, whether you are seeking some sort of connection with God, if you're not normally a church person, but you are exploring some sort of connection with God, or if you're a Christian and you really want to seek more intimacy and relationship with God, the second commandment brings us to the question of saying, well, if I can't use man-made ways of getting closer and intimate with God, if only there's a way God could come in person to meet us. 
And that's why, this is brilliant, this is how we as Christians get to relate and read this second commandment. Because God has come in person. God says, don't build an image. I've sent my image. The New Testament even uses this phrase, God tabernacled among us, to refer to Jesus. It uses the phrase that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We actually have God come straight to us in the person of Jesus. And in Jesus, we get a perfect image of God who never misrepresents God. It never, he never twists what God is like. We never get the wrong impression. If we look to Jesus, we never start believing something about God that is a set of truths that aren't right. If we worship Jesus, we're never worshipping a twisted picture of God. So we needn't ever wonder how we can obey the second commandment, how we can possibly think of God without distorting it and getting it imbalanced. Don't worry about that if you look at Jesus, because Jesus is the perfect representation, the perfect image of God, and he is close. If you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm really grateful that you've been willing to come and sit through a sermon on the Ten Commandments. Um, and I hope you've seen something perhaps surprising about God. But I want you to know it's quite typical that he doesn't give commandments because he wants to boss or bully or control people, but to draw people in to closer love and safety and intimacy. And when we come to meet Jesus, he doesn't force commandments on us, but he doesn't belittle them either. He doesn't say, no, it's a different era now. Forget what God said. He actually comes to fulfill the goodness and the purpose of these commandments. Because we can worship God authentically when we come to Jesus. And that is the, one of the bottom, big bottom lines of this. Uh, the place we end up to, is to say, worship Jesus. But in the light of some of the ways we've seen this commandment, that this commandment applies, I want to ground our response to that in, in just a couple of ways with two implications, uh, two take-home points from this. Firstly is listen up, don't look down. And secondly, feed, don't fashion. Um, the first one of those, listen up, don't look down. If we've been pointed to Jesus, and if I'm saying, worship Jesus, come to him, he's, he's the perfect image of God. He won't twist God. You get perfect worship in Jesus and closeness and intimacy. You might still say, yes, I know, but he's not here though, is he? We're still having to deal with a God we're not bumping into. Okay, for 30 years, you could have bumped into him, but we're still, we have this problem that Jesus isn't physically right here for us to bump into. Jesus ascended into heaven. But we do have his spirit who has spoken through his word. But that doesn't seem quite right, does it? Because of that hierarchy we mentioned at the beginning. We'd love to meet God in person, but at the bottom is just like words and, and just a phone call or words written down. That doesn't seem to be a very intimate way of relating. But actually, God has always related to his people through words. That's really not true that we can't get intimacy. Don't look down on the fact that Jesus speaks through his spirit, through his words. Don't look down on that way to reaching for intimacy with God. God has always spoken through words. And God who spoke through words said, I spoke through words and you don't need a picture. So don't look down, but listen up. Listen up to what the spirit says through the Bible. Because that is always how God has spoken, is related to his people. Not through images, but through his word. And secondly, feed, don't fashion. Um, if we're meant to use this commandment to guard us against twisting what God is like, 
Um, things we do either deliberately or accidentally when we do the work of remolding and fashioning God to fit our culture or our idea of how God should be. We want to guard against that. So how do we do that? Well, it means we feed on what Jesus says God is like. And we don't try and fashion what we think God is like. We are less about constructing beliefs and more about consuming what he says. In fashion, we gaze on Jesus to receive from him what he's like. We don't create what Jesus is like, we contemplate what he said he's like. We don't mould God, we marvel. Do these two things, not so that we'd be better obeyers, but so that we can avoid the Zoom call substitute of imagined gods if we define and twist and miss God. Instead, these things will help us hit that pinnacle of having the real, authentic, in-person relationship with God as he really is. His perfect image, Jesus Christ.